Hello and welcome to the Clock and Talk, an Arsenal podcast, and we're covering for fuck's sake. Good job, me and Schwinn are a lot more prepared than you, because if we came on and went, oh yeah, we didn't watch the game either, we was on the piss, it'd be a pretty shit podcast. Well, Macedonia is the best number at 10 in the Premier League. Yeah, that all looks good on paper, but there's never been a football match played on paper, so it's not really worth much. I'm going to make a bold prediction that Jack Wilshere will sign for West Ham United. It's time to start watching football with your eyes. I think people listen to what the commentator's saying and have that as their own opinion, but if you watch what's going on, you'll see things a lot clearer. Schwinn, who do you think is going to win the Golden Boot? I think Alexis Sanchez may do a number on that this year. <laughs> okay. Tony talks about a clock being right twice a day. Tez is right every day. Right from five, lads. Fucking beauty. Hello and welcome to the Clock End Talk. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. You can follow us at Clock End underscore talk on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, and just about everywhere else. I can't think where else, but anyway, podcast apps, you name it. We're everywhere. Clock End Talk. Just just fucking save it wherever. Um, <laughs> okay, each and every week, well, it's not each and every week, every show this man is here. Tony, how are you, mate? No, I'm just Mr. Reliable. Always there. Always a solid performer. But, yeah, I'm good. Uh, spoiler, glad to get the first away win in what seems like forever. So, yeah, good times at the moment. Happy days. Um, and you, you wouldn't believe it. Take our lotto ticket because this man has decided to join us for a podcast. And, mate, I'm fucking shocked. But, uh, anyway, here he is. Schwinn, how are you, buddy? Not too bad. Why? <laughs> why are you? Why are you shocked? I was the one who sort of set this up, didn't I? <laughs> you did actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so no need for shock. But yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, currently in India, uh, it's been a great week. Of course, it's been a great weekend. Um, not just because we grabbed three points, which of course we'd speak about, but Game of Thrones is back. And I know you boys uh, don't give a shit about it, but I've heard yeah, you guys yeah. talk okay. about. I've heard you guys talk about horse racing on here, so let me have my moment, will you? Yo, what's going on in Game of Thrones, then? That's not how, that's not how this question works at all. I'm not going to get into specifics, but it's just great to be back in, in a realm that you know, a lot of viewers have, and fans have missed. And um, you know, it's the last season, so fingers crossed for Does that mean shocking... you're going to finally shut up about it? No, no, it just means that I'm going to make you watch it at some point. It didn't work this time when I was around, but soon after, I think it's, that's going to change. Hmm. <laughs> Fucking Game of Thrones. Um, I haven't seen it. i got no idea what you're talking about. Um, anyway, I'm sure those fans, because there is fans from them, they are, they are glued to the TV, so probably not even listen to us on podcasts, so... Um, firstly, I apologise for the background noise because I do have a little bit of rain. Yes, it does rain in Australia. So, uh, Tony, uh, lineup, mate. Uh, obviously, going into the Watford game yesterday or this morning for me, um, I was one. Me and you spoke about this lineup, and we were type of a Bamiang Lacazette who was going to play, um, but. We both for- I forgot about Mafropanus as well. I was like, oh shit! I was shocked to see him make a make an appearance. Your thoughts on the lineup? Yeah, well, we did highlight the the centre back issue that because of um, Socrates being out, 
and I assume he would want it to play a back five in in that uh, against Napoli that it would would cause issues. We did speak about that. I just I think we all just forgot that Mavropanos existed. Well, we thought Emery forgot Mavropanos existed. Um, he's obviously rested players. I mean, playing Mustafi as a right back when Maitland Niles is there, I feel was just to preserve Maitland Niles for for midweek uh, or for Thursday, and probably the same with. Kolasinac, um, I think he would usually play, but we obviously know he's not the fittest, and I assume we'll see him on on Thursday. Uh, but the team wasn't too bad. I, I think we both thought it would be Lacazette rather than Aubameyang, uh, because I think I would rather have Aubameyang in Napoli to stretch the pitch. Uh, but it seems like, especially with Lacazette not playing any part, that he's going to be a man starting on Thursday. So there's a couple of surprises. I wouldn't say they were they were positive or negative. Just just things I didn't really expect. Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll go through that uh, Napoli game uh, a bit later because yeah, I don't know about that one. Um, Schwinn, your thoughts on the lineup, buddy? I think it was a, a mixture of what Tony spoke about in terms of resting a few players for a crucial upcoming tie, and. Uh, you know, adapting what's available with this new setup. You know, we've seen the back three for the last few weeks, I'd say. And we switched, of course, at the beginning of yesterday's game, switching to a 4-4-1-1 almost. And I think in that regard, you had to sort of, you know, put some round pegs in square holes, particularly Mustafi at right back, who I thought had a very good game. I think he cleared everything that came his way. And against a physical team like Watford, you know, you need that sort of aerial presence where, you know, Koscielny struggled. Uh, Dinos struggled to an extent, so I thought Mustafi had a decent game. But uh, again, away from home, you know, we haven't won since Huddersfield, I think, away from home in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And that, that, so yeah, that that talks about you know our form. Everyone knows about that. So it, it makes sense that we switched to a back four, maybe tried something new. I think maybe where things changed a bit was the sending off because suddenly that game became a, a Mesodozel game. We had a lot lot more space to play with, and. To Watford's credit, they played very well, but we had no one who was sitting in between the lines. We had a few ball progressors in the team, but no one occupying positions uh, through which these players could have played. And that's why Emery made the sub at, at halftime. But coming into the game, I was a bit apprehensive, but the more I thought about it as, as kickoff approached, I, was, was, I understood the, the, the train of thought involved. Um, look, we, we, we talk about the first type of 15 minutes. We have been... Tony in previous games so look, we'll go around that as well um, your first 15 minutes and obviously I'll let Schwinn talk about and obviously you'll have a talk about the Troy Deeney red card but the Abamian goal up to about there mate how do you think we started up until the, the first goal? I thought we was a little bit slow I thought they were they had the upper hand even though I'm not sure if they actually had any shots or they didn't have any shots on target but they had the ball pinballing around our area a couple of times and then one one break we were nicking the ball back quite well um, but not really doing much with it and then we had the break I mean Ramsey's cross was awful uh, but Aubameyang will never get enough credit for that goal because if he would have not closed him down no one would ever said anything it's one of the things he wouldn't wouldn't have been wrong to not close him down but he goes and does it and it will always go down as a keeper mistake or or just a sloppy error but for me, he's done. He's done really well. I mean, he, he covers the ground so quickly, and just well done for doing it. Really, 
Um, there's, there's not too much you can say about it when the ball's deflected off him from a yard out. But but fair play to him for going and committing to it, and he does do that very well. He does it a lot of games, and, and people obviously go, oh, shit, uh, you know, do I like my striker doing that and putting the pressure on the keeper? Oh, I like it because, uh, you know, like we've seen yesterday, it paid off, and that was the one the one payoff that we actually needed because it had that game been a draw, it would be a different conversation. So. Yeah, yeah, it completely changes things, and obviously... Being one nil up is huge difference to being nil nil. I mean, I, I don't. I think you have to pick your moments to do it. I think if you're the keeper's got five seconds and he's got time to take a touch and get his head up, then you just waste an energy chasing him down. Um, but but then he knew that if the keeper had only had one touch and then second touch, he had to clear it. And if that first touch was a little bit heavy or a little bit light, then then he would have been on him. And so that it's just decisions in that in that split second to to go and do it. And as I mean, I don't know if any of you have seen it. I think some of the listeners will. That there's a guy on Talksport, Dean Saunders, who is a complete prick, that used to play for Liverpool. Um, he was saying that that's arguably his goal of the season because it's come from absolutely nothing. Like it's not on. Um, obviously, it's not goal of the season, but you can kind of see where he's coming from in sense, saying that you show a still of that moment when the right back's got the ball and there's no chance there. And if you said, "Oh," a goal three seconds later that's individual brilliance and obviously it's not individual brilliance in the way that we look at it but he has made a goal out of absolutely nothing mm-hmm. um, uh, and what I like about the Abameyang situation he came out after the game I was reading today and he said look uh, I think Salah and uh, who else is up top there's they're one goal Aguero and Salah are on 19 he's on 18 yeah and he come out and he, he he's pretty confident that he's gonna he's gonna take the goal on boot so I like that about the strike you know about our striker he's he's confident he's he's you know dedicated and he's like yeah I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll get this goal on boot so I like that um Schwinn we've got to talk about the red card red card for you it's a very difficult one because I, I missed it live. I that that particular instant I was looking elsewhere just for a moment, and it just so happened that I hear the whistle and I see Craig Pawson taking a red card out of his back pocket. Uh, what I will say, I think the key factor in this situation, irrespective of whether we can agree on the severity of it or not, is that there's intent. I think there's a clear attempt from Dini to, whether you want to call it shove, whether you want to call it a hit. I'll leave that up to you guys, but I think there's a clear attempt to make contact and in, in a very unnatural way. He's not trying to protect himself uh, or the ball. He's actually trying to make an offensive action towards Torreira in that case. And because of the high disparity, one could argue that you know it, it hit him in the, in the head where it wasn't intended to, but there's intent to hit. And for me, that, that's, that, that warrants action. Is, is a red too harsh? I think I think yes. I don't think it was a red card per se, but I, I mean, I think there's arguments on both sides. I feel it's a very difficult one. On, on in terms of replays, I don't think it was a red card, but from people who saw it live, who I was with, they said, yeah, it probably was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a little bit like you, Shwin. I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was um, a little bit harsh for a red card. I'd be very pissed off if. If that was an Arsenal player and they got a red card for for something similar, so I've got to be, you know, try and be unbiased a little bit in that. But a lot of people will say, "Oh, definitely a red because he did elbow him in the in the cheek and whatnot." Um, Tony, your thoughts on it? I'm torn as well. Um, 
it's for me it's it's one of them 50 50 it can go either way and i don't think there's too many complaints either way for me it comes down to he's it didn't need to happen he's he's purposely done it as whether you call it intent or he that's a decision he's made it's not like he was running and his arm was trailing as as a part of his running motion he's made a conscious decision to do that so in that case if you do get sent off i don't think you can have too many arguments as i said i don't think it was that severe and i think if it had been a yellow i don't think there'd have been a massive amount of complaints as we've coming out of the ground a couple of watford fans were saying um that while they can't argue with the red would say a bamiyang and put a sent off for the same thing and i think the answer probably is no i think where Deeney said a few uh, last year uh, against Arsenal you hit the, you hit the first man you come up against and and see who fancies it from there stuff like that does play in referees minds whether it should or not you can argue all day long but it does so when he said something like that and then the first one he's made is is not part of a tackle he's consciously decided to hit someone I, I, I don't think that does you any favours also from the linesman's point of view which is the linesman that sent him off uh, I don't know if either of you have seen that angle it looks like he clearly swung an elbow in his face so again, while he didn't, uh, from the, the linesman's angle, that's what it looks like. And if that's what the linesman's seen or thinks he's seen, he has to go. But I think it's one of them. Either way, you can argue, and I, and I don't think you have too many arguments against it. Yeah, just in, in you're talking about, you know, and I get totally what you're talking about with the, um, you know, his comments to the last, was it last game and whatnot, that he's going to do this, not, not do this, but he's, there's always been a little bit of bad blood uh, with Deeney and Arsenal but look in his defence I, I don't think he's had a red card till since 2017 so uh, well, he got sent off like two games in a row last season I think it was uh, was it? ok that, he got, uh, got a free game ban and came back and then just got sent off again for got four oh, game ban just fucking put fuel <laughs> that just fucked what I was just about to say so I was going to say I didn't think he was that much of a dirty player but um I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care. It was great that for, for Arsenal um, that he got sent off, but I just, yeah, I just, I didn't think he was that much of a dirty player because I, I was reading today. It was, I think it was twenty seven. I'm not talking about, but anyway, if you tell me it was last year, I'll, I'll run with that. Um, well, it was last season, so it could have been twenty seventeen. Oh, okay. Right. I don't think it was, but if I found it, if you said it, it definitely was, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Watford dropped down to ten men, Tony, and. I'm thinking... Did they, though? Well, that's what I was just about to get to. I thought they covered it very well, and and we didn't... Look, there was lots of shots on target. I could go through all the different stats and stuff, but um, from about there to the halfway, to half-time, your thoughts? Uh, it was strange, because instinctively, we done exactly what you should do against 10 men. Mkhitaryan and Iwobi went and stood literally on the touchline, Aubameyang occupied the space in the middle so their defence was really stretched and then Ramsey was finding the gaps in between which is perfect that is literally textbook how you should play against 10 men the issue was we kept isolating our wingers which is what you want but then instead of giving them the ball to them one on one we were moving the ball across so slowly that by the time it got there they'd all shuffled over as well so you'd gone from having a one on one to just a normal defence and we was doing it time and time again it was so frustrating because the setup was perfect, but the execution was horrendous. And I don't really know who to blame. You can blame them all. It's collective because it wasn't like just one player was switching it slowly or they were running into each other's spaces. There was a, there was a lot wrong, but the, the, the setup, 
but they which they instinctively done was was perfect. Um, hmm. I mean, I think they probably had the better chances from from the sending off till half time. Leno's made a great save from the free kick. They've hit the post. Um, I don't think we really created anything. Aubameyang had one blocked from it. I think it was a Wobi cutback. And that was about it, I think, for for, for us. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say they looked dangerous, but they certainly didn't look like they had ten men. Schwinn, you you obviously just said then, did they though? Mate, just go through your take on it because I don't know if I've seen a team who's dropped the ten men continue attacking. <laughs> Usually they almost you know clean up and park a bus and to just try and defend, 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 but. Watford were creating some huge chances. Uh, couldn't agree more. I thought they were the better team on the day. Whether you want to look at a few minutes in isolation, a period in isolation or the whole game. Uh, I think Tony's point is right that they didn't seem to threaten very often. But when they did, they looked more dangerous. You know, we were always recovering. We, they were able to find spaces between our lines because our players weren't in position. And... When we had the ball, that was not the case at all for them. They they showed us how to defend. They gave us a class in how to defend, basically. And whenever they were approaching, you know, closer to our goal, I thought we were a bit passive in that regard. Maybe in the first half, Mavropanos was a bit of a factor in you know certain players being a bit more cautious, which is understandable. But in the second half, I thought maybe you know we could have done a bit more because we had players waiting on the break. And if you're able to snatch the ball away, then suddenly you have a three-on-three three or a two-on-two two in certain scenarios that we just did not capitalize on. But, I mean, credit to Watford. I mean, they played so well yesterday. I mean, they feel so hard done by. If I was a Watford supporter, I'd really feel, you know, unfortunate at this point because they deserve the points, you know, if not a draw, at least a win. We, we got very, very lucky yesterday. You know, we, we haven't spoken about the referee, but I thought he had a horrid game. Not in the sense of making some huge decisions, but getting the small ones wrong. And very often I felt, you know, sometimes he just wouldn't call a foul. Sometimes he would. And I think the crowd let him know after a point that, you know, you probably don't know what you're doing. A lot of sarcastic applause towards him as well. So in a nutshell, I thought we were very, very lucky to get away with with the result. Happy that, you know, Aubameyang was able to score that goal because after that, we didn't really create anything special. Hmm. Um, Just uh, one thing I forgot to say before. Another thing where we set up really well against ten men, we left three up when they had the corners. I don't think I've ever seen us do that ever. But when they got a corner, we left the Bamiang Iwobi and uh, Mickey up, which why the why the area was a lot less congested. It wasn't obviously just because they had one of their biggest threats in Dini off the pitch. It's because we left three up, so they had to leave four back. Um, Tony. Half time comes, Ozil on, Torreira off. Uh, just probably maybe saving Torreira for the, the Napoli game? Or I don't know. I thought it was a very strange substitution. I mean, I know we're going to come to him, but I thought all of his subs were poor yesterday. I thought Torreira had a very good half. The only thing I could possibly think of was protecting him from himself because you, you always expect the ref to try and even it up in them sort of games and they were targeting Torreira he got a few he, had, he was fouled quite a few times in the first half but he made loads of recoveries he won the ball back loads I think he had one terrible pass which led to that free kick that where Leno made the save but in general he kept the play ticking over I thought it was a very strange sub but uh, I mean Ozil came out 
basically as soon as the players went in for half time, Ozil came out full kit on, so you know he's coming on. And in the last few weeks, or even throughout the whole season, you've seen the player come out and do that, and you pretty much know who's going off. We the whole stand was sort of sitting there talking and just throwing names out there and reasons why it could be them. And I was, our uh, Jacka might not be fit enough to, to play the 90 and Mickey, I didn't have the best half. Like there was, there was so many names thrown out there and I don't think anyone even considered Torreira, to be honest. Uh, I thought it was a very, very, I can understand trying to get Ozil in the 10 because there was so much space in the 10 in that role, in that thing. And then you get Ramsey running off him. So I can understand he's thinking. I just I don't I don't think he took the right player off to be honest. Um, Schwinn, and then obviously goes through. And the next sub was Guendouzi from Afropanas. Strange one, very very strange. Even the one after that, I think when Ramsey came off, as Tony said, they were very very strange substitutions. I mean, I'd say the the one with Gwen was tactical, and the one with Ramsey was counter tactical because. Javi Garcia made a, or sorry, Javi Garcia made a substitution that, that sort of threw Emery's Guendouzi substitution into a fix. You know, we had Mkhitaryan playing right wing, wing back there for a second. Um, of course, that meant that Mustafi joined Koscielny and and Mavropanos, uh, I think, in the back Koscielny three. Montreal. Sorry, Koscielny and Montreal in the back three with it will be in the left wing. It, it was it was strange. I'm I'm not quite sure what Emery was thinking there. I'm sure there was some method to maybe you know absorbing pressure better and then leaving players ahead as Tony just mentioned to to cast them on the break. But it didn't really make that much of a difference because Watford were very happy to sit back and then hit us on the break and use their physicality and and, and pace to get in behind. But uh, I think. This was one case where we have seen so far Emery outclass managers, particularly Pochettino when we played Spurs at home. But I think this was the first case when we have seen that Emery was beaten purely on subs. Uh, I think that's that's a credit to the manager that this is the first time it's happened, but it happened in a woeful way. Uh, I, that was it was very very strange to see how he was making changes, and you could see as soon as success came on. And uh, Guendouzi was al- already on the pitch that he was having a conversation with uh, uh, with his assistant to, to try and figure out how to change things. And I think that's what that's what led to the Ramsey substitution. But it's, it's it, in a way, it's a wasted sub because we could have used maybe a Lacazette later on in the game, you know, if we had to really shore things up, which obviously didn't end up happening. So it's it's a learning experience. We can all we can say is that it worked out well for us, luckily. But I don't think we will, you know, that's that's the portion you want to rely on in the games to come. Tony, we often, you know, you're you're not big on stats, but we, we have to talk about them because, you know, obviously stats is goes towards the games and things like that. But, um, you know, just does this sum up the game a little bit for you boys, just looking at these stats? I was just having a squizzy then as Schwinn was talking. So Arsenal shots on target six. Shots off target six, blocked shots seven, shots inside the box 13, shots outside the box six. Watford shots on target three, off target three, blocked shots five, woodwork one, six inside and five outside. I mean, they're wrong, so it would work twice. Okay, some idiot's fucked up on the stats, he needs second. But yeah, so that's you know that that just 
I did notice a fair few 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 shots on that, or chances, I suppose. You th- you know, with Arsenal, you, you thought we should have got that second one, and I think was it last week? Well, what was it? Napoli? No, it was Napoli game. Well, you know, we're a bit similar. We where we thought we could have got that third third goal, but we didn't. Was it a bit of a case yesterday as well? I think it's a different circumstance. I think like the. The easiest way to play against Arsenal is to block the middle of the pitch, let us have the ball wide, because in general we're not going to put crosses in. I mean, that probably explains a lot of the block shots because there's a lot of bodies in front of the goal. Uh, especially playing a back four, you're not going to get Monreal overlapping the way you do if it's a back five. Also, we don't really want the players to be bombing on and overlapping because if we get caught short, one nil up and we're 1-0 up against 10 men and they counter-attack because our fullbacks have gone bombing on, we're sitting here going ape shit. So... There's some sense in it. Um, I don't know. Look, I just think they they probably won the battle, as as Schwinn said, the tactical battle. I, I would agree that Gracia Gracia won it. I mean, our subs made absolutely no sense at all. Um, and also, there is look. I, I, I think it's just the nerves of not winning an away game for so long, or not keeping an away clean sheet all season. You could see when the final whistle went, it was just relief. There wasn't even really a celebration that we'd won. It was just like a big sigh of relief and I thank fuck that's over we've finally done it and sometimes you need them and they come in the worst ways but then you now believe you can do it because you've done it before and you can kick on from there I mean how many times have we seen strikers that have been on a goal drought and one goes in off their arse their nose or their elbow or something and it gets given and then suddenly they start flying because they now remember oh yeah actually I can score goals and and I'm hoping that's what it is that we've got the tough one out of the way we've proved we can win a sort of battle and and then from there, hopefully we now have the belief to go on and win a couple more away games. Yeah, it's type of uh, Schwinn that I haven't. I haven't. It's been a long time since we've actually won a game ugly, like especially away. Like, yeah, Huddersfield wasn't it? Because that was pretty ugly. We started with a back five on the day, and I'm not someone who's inherently of the belief that a back five is defensive. But on that day, it truly was defensive. Yeah, I've, yeah. I'd, oh, look, I'm just glad we got the three points at the end of the day, boys. Um, can, can I can I comment on that stat that you just laid yeah, out, Tess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you can. So, look, I, I probably am the biggest advocate of stats on this platform, like on on our show, amongst the three of us, right? But this is the textbook example of how stats pollute uh, someone's mind because. On paper, you would definitely take Arsenal's numbers. More shots on target, more shots blocked, you know, obviously more attempts, more shots from inside the box, etc., etc. But for anyone who's watched the game, I don't think anyone would argue that Arsenal had better chances or looked more potent than Watford. I think they had better and higher quality chances. I, I was trying to think as Tony was speaking about any save that Forster had to make. And I can't really think of anything that that we you know that we challenged him on. Well, the one from Mickey at the back post is the only one of note, I think. That's right. Yeah, which I think was was pretty good. Uh, but I mean, Leno had to make a few saves. I thought he was decent yesterday. Made some crucial saves actually, especially the free kick that uh, that Kapu uh, hit. So I mean, I, I, this is one of those areas where you can look at the stats and you know feel better about the performance. But I don't think it does justice to how Watford played and to an extent how poorly we played despite them being a man down. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, mate. I, I, you know, the stats will show you that Arsenal looked good and you know everything was good there, but 
anyone watching the game, you, you can see Watford. I don't know if they're running over top of us, but they just seem. I've just never seen a team with ten players do that before. Like, it's been a fucking long time. Uh, probably, you know, someone will correct me. There probably has been teams, but you're up against, well, you know, one of the top six teams in the Premier League, and here you are down to ten men, and hey, we're still attacking. We're not fucking frightened. Uh, just, uh, it was good. good. Good to see Watford do it, but bloody hell, it almost um, paid off for them too. Um, a man of the match, Tony. Uh. For me, Mustafi by an absolute... Well, not by an absolute mile. Mustafi shading it from Iwobi and no one else anywhere near them to... Schwinn? Yeah, very, very hard to argue with that. I thought Mustafi was crucial to how we defended yesterday. It wasn't pretty, but it was effective. And sometimes that's that's how you want your your defender to just clear things up, especially when the other team is a man down and you know that you know, a header that's going to go 20, 30 yards away is not going to return to your zone anytime soon because the odds of the ball landing at your player's feet are higher. And at the same time, if it fall, finds someone in the opposition, it's going to take them a second to recalibrate and, and you know, find their way back towards your area. Uh, I think Leno deserves a shout uh, as well just because, you know, he made a couple of crucial saves. He's made a habit of that, actually popping up with some some big saves and you know keeping us in the game so just thought i'll give him a shout it will be was of course one of the the better players in the day as well i thought mickey had a horrible game especially with his end product but looked tidy on the ball other than that i don't think anyone and i'm not putting mkhitaryan you know down as a man of the match contender but i thought he deserved a shout as well other than that it's very difficult to talk about someone in particular sky, uh, sky sports gave it to a which i thought was laughable um, I, I thought Mickey was the worst player. On, well, yeah, the worst player on our side, to be honest. But it's strange. It's, this is how football polarizes opinion. Because I was looking, scrolling through Twitter earlier, and I've not seen too many mention Mustafi. And I know that not a lot of people like him, but surely got to call the game as you see it. And then I've seen a few people saying Granite was was up there. And look, I'm not a Granite basher, and I'm not just saying this to annoy Tez. As funny as it would be, I thought Granite had quite a poor game. I thought he lost a lot of fifty fifties, which are not like him. His passing wasn't off, but it wasn't effect, not effective. It wasn't influential. Usually we can count on times when we're breaking and say, oh, Granite done this, Granite done that, played that ball in behind. But there was no real moments I can think of his passing. He lost a few battles. But then I've seen others saying, oh, he was key to our victory. So this is just how football can, two people or, or ten people can watch the same game and all have completely different opinions. Yeah, I'll just go on stats, boys, and stats alone, um, because otherwise I don't want to follow suit with you, boys. I'm going to say Granite was my man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, well, when you That's look at, and, and and people wonder why I don't make it onto the show every week. Well, well look at the stats, right? Let, let's let's get down to these stats for a minute. That you talk about. <laughs> so clearances, twenty six clearances, ball recoveries, thirty two ball recoveries. Wait, wait, wait. Twenty six. 26 clearances, that's not correct. 26 clearances, 36 ball recoveries. Aerial Jules lost, zero. Aerial Jules won, 58. Jules lost, none. Jules won, 104. Pass completion, 100%. Successful passes, 
265 successful passes. <laughs> Are you sure his pass completion wasn't 100? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm taking the piss. <laughs> um, nah, look, I won't be for me as well. <laughs> ah, fucking classic. Um, just loading up, just loading up who's called to see who they gave it to because why not? But my internet's run by a hamster that's not running fast enough currently. Oh, they gave it to Mustafi. Mustafi, okay. Just on a Wobie, though, I, did I bash him here on the podcast a few weeks ago? I think since that day, he's playing well. He's, he played the last Everton or Nap. I, the game's just rolling each week now. It's, he came on, and I thought he was the best player that came on. It must have been Everton. It's Everton. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was he was brilliant when he come on, and then he comes out with a performance like this yesterday, and I'm fucking hey. Also, just just because he's someone that gets hammered quite a lot, uh, shout out to Mal- Maitland Niles when he came on. I thought he'd done everything Absolutely. right, appearance, and just everything. He's his passing was crisp. He was sharp. He, he looked on the ball, and look, we know, it seems like you get one in two from Maitland Niles. He's either shit or sort of brilliant, and they're one week after another. But just thought I'd give him a mention because people do like to criticise him. I don't want to hammer this bloke, but Nacho Monreal, boys, does he go in the summer or does he? Um, you want to keep him? Go. I mean, okay. For me, his contract's up. I think if you could get him to sign a year, he's someone that's useful to have around. I don't. I'm not sure if he's a first team player, but then you can't leave fucking Kolasinac as your only left back either. Mm-hmm. I just think his forms dropped so much in the last twelve months. I don't know why, because yeah, he was last season. He was pretty good. I, I think he even had more than eight goals or something under his belt, didn't he last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was second in terms of the player of the season for the Arsenal, right behind Ramsey. Yeah, I've just never. I've just this season, he's just gone downhill big time. Maybe age, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, he's lost a bit of burst, I think, to an extent. Uh, you don't see him marauding that far forward, uh, even if he's playing left back. And, I mean, he did suffer an injury this season, so I wonder how much of an effect that has taken on him. But we haven't given him an, an extension of the back of a very good season, which, to me, is an indication of him not being around. Mafrapana's first time he's... Was it the first this season? Last season we've seen a glimpse of him. Your thoughts on him, Tony, yesterday? Uh in the nicest way possible I thought you could tell he hadn't played for nearly a year mm. any experience just rusty he was too eager he done a lot of things well to be fair but he was too eager to try and win the ball he, he was challenging for balls that he was never going to win they had a really good chance in the first half where the ball was on one side of Gray and he's essentially tried to run through him and get it and just ended up on his ass. he had a couple of shaky passes but he, he did do things well I think he was just too keen and too eager to show his worth and and yeah it didn't it didn't no, brilliantly only, and the only reason I touch on it I'm not not, not, not singling out the kid but you know if you remember back last the end of last year uh, I think he played that one game and everybody was like oh wow even, even me I was like fuck this kid who's this kid but yeah I, Hopefully he comes, you know, hopefully he gets a, strings a few games together. I think he would have been better to go out on loan this season, but it didn't happen, so. Um, OK, let's get into some questions that you can ask us. You don't want to touch on anything else on that game, Shwin? You happy to move on? Uh, I, I will touch upon Marupanos because I've seen a fair bit of criticism towards him, which I agree with in the context of this game, but 
you know, there was a reason that we were a bit skeptic uh, at the end of last season when he played against United, and I think it was Leicester when he got sent off, about making a judgment very early on. Because when a player makes the move from a younger youth team to you know the, the first division and the first team, they, they tend to not realize that their strengths have been minimized. You know, when Mauro Panos is playing against some of the younger players, then then you can see that he's using his strength and is able to overpower the opposition. In the Premier League, he's not going to be able to do that week in, week out. And I think we saw that take effect yesterday. And I think it's going to be a humbling experience for him where he realizes that his biggest strength, which is his strength, is not going to be as big anymore. And, you know, it will probably force him or it should force him to develop other of his other abilities, you know, maybe work on better positioning or uh, maybe athletically he has to be a bit more fit to be able to cover ground despite his size. So I think it's going to be a good experience because Watford were very good. I don't think I can stress that enough. And Dini, of course, for being on there for what, 10, 15 minutes. And then even Andre Gray, who, you know, uh, poses a different threat is going to humble the kid. And if he is a good professional who wants to make a good career in football, he's going to take this as a learning curve and, and not be deterred by it. Okay, um, let's get into some questions now. And as, so you can get, uh, we usually throw a question thread out. Uh, at, where are we? Clock and talk. talk. Clock and underscore talk. Is that it? Yeah. At clock and underscore right, talk. Taz, we've only had it for two years. <laughs> I'm looking at our friggin' blog as well as I'm reading it, so it's fucking completely throwing me. But anyway, yeah, so you can get our, get your questions there. We usually throw out after the game. Uh, Thomas says, Tony, we need someone in the middle who used 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 to do what Sandy and and Cess did, and even Song done at times, and we'll go back, go pick pick it up from the deep and make things happen quickly instead of the backways and sideways stuff. When there is a chance to play forward, thoughts. Uh, I mean, look for me. I think I'm not comparing the level of Granite to Sesk and Kazola, but for me, Granite is a better progressive passer than Song ever was. I don't know if that's just. Uh, I know that people are going to bring up the few assists he got for Van Persie, but I don't know if that's just a bit of a romantic memory um, comparing comparing Song there. And look, Fabregas is possibly the best player of the Emirates era. Are you definitely in the conversation? So, I mean, saying we need that type of player, I think everyone, the peak says Fabregas. I don't think there's many teams in the world that he wouldn't get in. I mean, look, he played for the probably the best club side arguably ever in that in Barcelona under Pep. So that shows the level of the player you're comparing it to there. Um, and, and who is that player? I wouldn't even know if you said, "Oh, we need that player." Even if, like, who do you, who is it in in current football? Well, not Santi came, before Santi came. Did did we even realise who Santi was? Well, I mean, people forget that the first two years here, he played on the wing. So that was a someone converted. Yeah. And, and but again, yeah. do you do like put the name out there? I, I don't know. No. I, I don't think there's that many. Look, I'm, again, I'm not saying Jack is the best player on earth, but in terms of that role at the moment, for someone who's gettable, I don't think there's anyone that's a more progressive passer, a better progressive passer than Granite, who's who's available. Yeah, look, Tony Cruz probably passes the ball better. Go and ask Real Madrid if they'll sell him to us. I'll tell you the answer. 
Somebody will say something to you there. I, I, uh, I'm asking who the player is. I, I'm not against him. I, I can't really think of anyone that, that would be gettable. Or someone's going to come out with someone that plays in Division Three in France, who's they've seen on FIFA, and they're going to tell everyone that they're an expert and they know all about them. But if we sign that person, then they would be, oh, why are we signing these little French kids? I, I know you might. You might. I'm not telling that you might think I'll fucking wake up yourself, Tess. I don't. I look and whether he's Arsenal level or not, but I'm just thinking outside the box here. Aaron Moyes, I think he's a really good pass with the ball, um, but I don't know if he's up to an Arsenal level. He's not, and he plays a lot further forward as well. Mm. We're talking about passing from deep, from deep getting the ball yeah. forward. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can you can have you can have players who are good on the ball, but I mean, especially in that part of midfield, you need them to be so intelligent. I mean, someone who's fallen prey to this is is John Joe Shelby. You know, he he can find a dime from fifty, sixty yards out, but in terms of positioning, then you're making a trade off. And in that part of the park, I mean, how many times have we talked about Granite's improvement in being able to draw fouls by putting his body between the ball and the and, and the opposing player, or you know, just picking his head up very quickly to to play the ball out of pressure. Those things are not easy to do. You know, it's easy to look up, have time and space, and find your target. But the midfield, especially from that part, is about so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Would you, have you got a player? Could you think of anyone, Schwinn? A player that's a better progressive passer? No. I mean, there's obviously big, big things being talked about when it comes to players like De Jong, but... It, it, that transition to make from the Dutch league, which I have no malice towards, and I'm not putting them on a lower pedestal, but for for, for players like that to make the leap, they're very few and far between. And well, it's also someone that's completely not gettable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in in terms of Asante, I mean, for me, he's he's not necessarily a ball progressor. He's someone who can dribble with the ball, and and despite being pressured, he can wriggle his way out of it. Right, he's not someone who's going to sit deep and and and, and orchestrate stuff. He's not a Pirlo. I, I think in that way, maybe an Isco would fit. But again, he falls in that same category that well, he's well, ungettable. I'll throw you one and, and Zonzi. Now, there's I'm talk, sure. but there's no. talk about that he 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 is gettable. So let's, let's yeah, he's gettable, but he's, he can't pass a football. Yeah, that's that's what I'm like. Yeah. So it's very hard. Yeah, I'm gettable, but yeah. I'm not an improvement. They can sign me if they want. <laughs> But, but, but no, see, so do you, you know, he's not even in the conversation, is he? No. No. Not a progressive passer. For you, Schwinn? No. I mean, if anything, he'd be someone who's more in the Torero vein. Uh, maybe a bit more, a uh, bit less active in terms of covering distance, but relying on his strength to break up play and his positioning to break up play and not necessarily someone who's going to orchestrate the game. I mean, Berardi, Thiago, those are the sort of players that you probably look into for, for the category of players we're talking about right now. I would love a Ferrari. would love him. Yeah, yeah. 100 million, <laughs> 70 fan, million. Big fan of him. Yeah, you'd never get him. It'd never happen. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, Schwinn. The amount of shit Kashani goes through every game, he never shies away from a tackle. He carried an injury for a year, which eventually caught up with him and kept him out for half a year. He's come back and been great. Describe his career at Arsenal from an MWA gunner. Great question. I mean, great statement as well. I think when he came back, uh, his first game against Southampton, 
think all of us were pretty quick to to judgment in that case that he's probably done at this level. But at this point, I would I would argue he's our best central defender in in the team, and I think that is a testament not to his present quality, but a testament to his career at the Arsenal. He's been very reliable. Uh, even statistically, if you look at his pairing with Mertesacker, I think that was one of the best periods uh, for our club in terms of defending and in terms of not conceding goals. Uh, one could easily argue pound for pound, he's been one of our better signings, maybe top three signings in the Emirates era. I think what, what was the amount? I think seven million, maybe eight, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that we brought him in for. Yeah, so, I mean, other than Sesk and maybe, I mean, I can't even think of other players. Other than Sesk, I don't think there's too many contenders well, for that. Sesk isn't really Emirates era either. In terms sorry? of signing, sorry. In terms oh, of signing, right. Sesk wasn't Emirates era. Right, but I, I think he's one of those players who who has gone unappreciated um, more recently uh, and was and was someone who was a, a fixture in the team for, for many years. So, I... I'm given a lot of patience and, and and positivity when I see his name on the team sheet these days because with, with players like Mustafi around, and I know he had a good game yesterday, but generally speaking, they don't really instill confidence in you and Koscielny's name on the team sheet does. And I think that really tells you all, all you need to know about him. Tony MWA Gunner says, I'm starting to think that the fullback area have become a bigger priority to fix than the CB position. Monreal is slow and probably leaving. Klasenak can't defend. Maitland-Niles isn't a right back, leaving us with Bellerin, who still has defensive flaws. It, look, it depends what you're looking for. You look at Klasenak and Bellerin, they add so much to our game offensively, and, and he's bang on. They're, they're not the best defenders, but unless we get someone that's all round, which, again, you, there's not many names out there, then you're going to have to settle for one of the two, and and it seems with our, it seems like his choice would be the someone that can attack a bit better, and which is what Bellerin and Kalas Natch can do. Uh, I think that if Nacho goes, we are going to need another left back because you know Kalas Natch ain't got the fitness to to do a season being the first choice playing every week or the majority of weeks. Um, but I mean, it's, it's like you look at. I remember when we were talking about right backs before and. I was saying who's an improvement on Bellerin that's gettable. And the only one that peeped the name that really came up quite often and strongly was the, the guy from Napoli, whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce, uh, H-S-Y-J or whatever it is. You can't pronounce it. What chance have I got? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to butcher it because you'll record it and it'll be in our intro for the next five years. But I, mean, like, I know it's a one-off game, but last week against us, he didn't get forward and was shit defensively. It, look, that could all change on Thursday, but... I think there's very few about that can do both. And, and it shows that Bayern have just paid 80 million for, for one of the left backs that can do both, that can defend an attack. There's not that many around. And whether you call that a, a dearth in, in quality of fullbacks at the moment or that they're just more focused on attacking than they are defending. So then you get these players that are great going forward and not brilliant at the back. Who knows? But that's just, just the world we're in. And as I said, when you've got a world where left backs are going for 80 million because he can defend an attack it, it kind of shows where we are and, and, and the team that's brought him is the team that probably has top three left back in the world already anyway Look, and I I don't play FIFA but I, I dabble in football manager 
and I, I don't want to compare anything here, but I tell you, I struggle every time I pick up that game to find a left back or a right back to grab for under like 40 to 50 million that game. And I don't want to, you know, obviously FIFA, I don't want to be the FIFA fanboy or whatnot, not here. But I, I just, I struggle every time to fucking find somebody for them two positions. So oh, I don't I don't know what Arsenal do. I get no idea. Um, I mean, the people, throw, especially left back people, throw, will throw names out there Tagliafico, Tierney, but who knows? They're unknown. And would they come in at first choice? Again, who knows? Mm. Um, uh, interesting yeah. summer ahead. I mean, I, I would, if we had however much money pick a figure and and said you could only buy one position i think for me it would be a center back over over a fullback of either side to be honest center back. Mm. um uh, vish says oh, he's run right up your fucking alley swing if the premier league were likened to game of thrones which house would represent arsenal the house where everyone scored the house where everyone what? Is bored. <laughs> Ooh. This is a tough one. Um, Whatever there, it there's says, a few, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few similarities uh, between Game of Thrones houses and and the Arsenal. Uh, it's tough to say, though, which one exactly you would fall under, because I think House Stark was, would probably be the right one, just because we make the obvious mistakes of honor and loyalty at times, or have in the past. Uh, but at the same time, as the protagonists of the show, we do end up making good runs uh, at the end of the season, which you know salvages the mistakes we made in the first half of the season. So that's probably a, a decent comparison. I know it means nothing to you guys who so we'll just. Yeah, no, I disagree. On. I think you chose the wrong house there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm back. Between you banging on about football manager and him playing make the dragons, this is still better than horse racing. I'll tell you that. Fucking not. <laughs> it's not better than horse racing. <laughs> did you see? Oh no, we won't go into it. <laughs> no, please don't. I did not. Let's just fucking move on. Oh, so he bangs on about Game of Thrones in two different segments. <laughs> dragons flying about. <laughs> We can't even mention a fucking simple little horse. Yes, <laughs> it fucking exists. <laughs> um, Gator Guna, how much of Wenger hangover are we still suffering? Contracts, players, etc. I loved Wenger, but I'm honest about his last few years. Tony. Oh, I thought the stream was going to start talking about Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm so bored of this. Every time something's not going right, it's Wenger's fault. When it goes brilliantly, it's well done. New Era, Emery, Raul, whoever. Um, Look, his last few years weren't good. This is not me sitting here trying to say, oh, everything he done was perfect. But, I mean, at some point, you've got to sort yourselves out. Obviously, the Ramsey issue has been, I mean, it's been an issue for a long time. I wouldn't blame it on Wenger, uh, whether you blame it on Gazidis and, and previous occupants of jobs. But, I mean, with that Ramsey issue has been not in a it's been dealt with in the worst way possible, but it's been dealt with. It's been and gone. Beyond that, I, I don't know really where you're looking. I mean, everyone knows that Wenger didn't want to give Ozil the 350 a week anyway, so you can't look at that. And I don't know what, what else could possibly be seen as a hangover. You can't, 
like you know, people might say, oh, the signing of Mustafi wasn't brilliant, but every team, every manager is going to come into a squad without with players that they don't really fancy or that aren't good enough. You can't call, you can't, because Emery hasn't got 25 world-class players, you can't say, oh, it's a hangover of the Wenger era. That's that's football. It is what it is. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has gone into United. They're sure as hell players he doesn't like. I mean, he's basically sent Sanchez off to walk his dogs while he's on half a million pound a week. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a Mourinho hangover? Or, do you know what I mean? You can't just... Oh, nah. or, or when Moyes took over from Fergie and they, they came up eighth, I think, that season. Does that say, oh, Fergie, it's a Fergie hangover? when Fergie had just won the league of them the year before. It's always going to be that way. I just think it's one of them phrases that was started by the press and now just gets used for absolutely everything. Every time anything goes wrong, oh, it's a hangover from this. It's a hangover from that. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I, I understand it a little bit because when you have a manager there for so long like Wenger and, and Safford, Man United, and, you know, there's an argument saying they still haven't fucking recovered from from Safford United and, and, you know, they've gone through, uh, what, four, five managers now? Uh, Mourinho, Solskjaer, Moyes, Van Yeah, it's a four manager. So, you know, and, and Arsenal are obviously, well, I think, look, I think we've been going pretty well under Emery. Yeah, there's some things that baffle me some weeks, I think, what and how is he doing? But, hey, we're sitting in fourth position. We're, we're, we're looking good for Europa League touchwood. And what, you know, you... Do you call that a hangover? I don't. I don't know, really. Be honest with Arsenal's sake, but I do understand the analogy of a hangover, though, because when you look at teams like Chelsea, who seem to have a different manager every season, they're just so. They're, I feel them players are used to that. Where I don't know whether Arsenal and Man United would be because they had that manager there for so long. But yeah, I don't. I don't actually, Man United. I don't know because. They've probably got half a new team there since Seth left now, so... Yeah, I understand a little bit, but I do understand what you're saying, too. You, you tend to get sick of it, don't you? Well, it's just that every time anything goes not as we expect, oh, yes, it's because Wenger done something. Mm. And it's like, again, I don't... like Again, in, in relation to yesterday's game, I don't know what part of that you're looking at and going, oh, yeah, it's because Wenger was there nine months ago. Like, yeah. what... Where's the Wenger effect on yesterday's game? Well, the only thing I can I can look. I read an article before the Watford game that obviously our way record is so bad this season, and and it was so bad last season. So so they're type of putting the two things together and saying, well. But then okay, our, our home form this season is completely down to Wenger. Sorry. Our home form this season is because Wenger had good home form last season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're going to say Yeah, one, because I'm re- I've been ridiculous when I say that, but yeah. when you say the same thing about being away, somehow it's a logical point. Mm. Like, oh, I get, I get that. I get that. Totally. Well done, Arsene Wenger. You've had a brilliant home season this year. You've done it again. <laughs> the media seem to love a good, good, good punch. No, that's what I mean. But people then go on to believe it. Like they read it in the papers or hear it on TV or hear it on Twitter. Twitter's the worst for it, to be fair. And and then it just becomes almost fact. Like, oh, we're bad away because Wenger's team was a bad away last season. So that's it. It's, it's nothing to do with anyone else. It's all Wenger. And this isn't me particularly defending Wenger, but you can't, as I've said it a million times, I said it on the podcast with Jack a couple of weeks ago, you can't have it both ways. If it's his fault when it's bad, it's his, it's his praise when it's good. You can't have it. It can't be his fault when it's bad and then someone else is done well when it's right. 
Um, Vish says, Schwinn, happy with... I don't know if this is a question or not because I haven't read it. So He says, happy with a clean sheet and a way win... Um, win Albiard in a very unconvincing... About, no, about it in a very... Albiard. Albiard, is it? Okay. Uh, in a very convincing fashion, did our boys play with themselves, within themselves, trying to protect themselves with the Napoli game looming or were Watford that much better than us even with a man down did you say convincing fashion or unconvincing uh, fashion unconvincing. unconvincing fashion okay okay yeah that makes sense um, I'm not sure whether we tried to play within ourselves uh, particularly I mean that would mean more possession that would mean a bit sharper in moving the ball quickly and I don't think that was quite the case I think to an extent it was to borrow a word from the previous discussion, a hangover of sorts. I think it was lethargic to an extent. And uh, I'm not saying it's a Wenger hangover, but just a hangover a in hangover. general. Yeah, I know you mind. Yeah. So it was, I, I think it was nervy, maybe. I think there was a sense of complacency as well, uh, despite Watford doing well with the ball when they managed to get on. I think there was a, an element of, you know, we are up by a man and we'll, we'll be all right. Maybe towards the end of the game, I think there was a bit of game management going on where I think Ozil was trying to direct players, particularly Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, to go towards the corner flag uh, and, and, and try and retain possession. So there was a sense of that going on towards the end of the game. But, you know, I, when I, I tweeted out something after the game about the subs we made and someone made an argument to me that maybe Emery is thinking about uh, the Napoli game up, you know, coming up. And I, I understand that train of thought, but... In the moments when the subs were made, I don't think that's the right time to be thinking about the Napoli game. And, you know, that that's where I sort of disagree with, you know, with playing within ourselves and trying to protect what we had because we weren't really doing that well, even if we were trying. I think Watford were just very good. And as I said at the top of the show, just extremely unlucky not to get anything from the game yesterday. So all in all, a very, very lucky day for us and a very unlucky day for Watford. Okay, uh, Pierre, uh, Bemian Golden Boot, Tony. Uh, no, we won't go him. We'll go Clay Conservative first. Um, I would just like to point out the Arsenal unicorn has been cited. Mustafi has had not just one, but two back to back performance, solid performances. Manager deserves a shout here too for the years. I've seen us lose these games. Winning ugly hasn't really happened for us until this year. So not a question, just a shout-out. Um, Pierre-Emerick Pierre Aubameyang, Golden Boot. Uh, while we so lax in our attacking play, did we have one eye on the Napoli game, Schwinn? But before you answer that, me and Tony, and I know you don't listen to the podcast... <laughs> but, um, me and Tony were discussing, like, you know, when you got a 50-50 on both leagues, you know, Europa League and the Premier League, you're in top four Premier League, and Europa League, look, was still there with a very, very solid chance. How does he pick a team? Like, me and Tony both said, good luck with that. It's very difficult. Uh, the good thing, however, is that both both streams of tournaments are very different. So the Premier League has its own set of challenges that it comes with, particularly with the away games. And you know, Wolves away are going to be tough. Uh, Palace at home is going to be tough. Leicester away can be can be tricky. So when you contextualize what's down each path, 
I think it's obvious with Emery's pedigree and with Arsenal sort of have become a tournament team, for lack of a better term, over the last two, three years. One could argue that the, the Europa League is where we should concentrate. I mean, I've said all along that I don't think we're going to make top four. And it's it's because of you know some of this some of these factors that I that I've maintained that, and if I was in Emery's shoes, I'd play to my strengths and I'd play to the team's strengths. And for me, those lie in Europe, not in England. Just and you weren't here when Jack was here. I think Tony asked me and me and oh no, you weren't here. Me and Jack a question: How many points can we drop? Wasn't it Tony or something like that? Well, how many points and how many points for you get us into the top four? I think before the Watford game, someone asked me that, and I said that we. I think we'll get eight points, but I said that if we get twelve, we should be able to make top four. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's what I said. Mm, okay. So you think nine now? Nine more gets us it. I think so, yes. I think if we get yeah, three wins... I mean, my answer was yeah. 12. But So then after now, if you only thought we've got eight, we'd get eight, we've got three of them. So yeah. now you think nine more gets us it, but you think we'll only get five. Correct. So Correct. you think we're dropping points to Palace or Brighton at home? Uh, Palace or Wolves. No, no, but I'm saying... No, I, I mean one of them, because obviously yeah, you if one. you're... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Palace or Brighton, or even Burnley, because they're in the thick of the No, no. Right but what I'm saying, day. if you think we're only going to get five points, I'm saying you think we're dropping points in one of our home yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Palace, Palace more so than than Brighton, but yeah. Well, I said twelve as well, and at that time though, I was thinking, uh, obviously, uh, was that before Everton game? No, day after. Uh, it was the day after. So. Yeah, that was after we dropped points to Everton. What I thought this game was going to be tough, and I also thought the Wolves game was going to be tough. Um, I think the other two, will, the other ones, we've got assorted. Leicester, Brighton, and, uh, who's the other one? Palace. Anyway, uh, we're in a good position. We're in a good position. Um, Tony, I'm just trying to work. There's a bit of a thread going on here. Uh, so it started with. Uh, Pierre Emerick, a Bamiyan golden boot. Is this Deeney thing a bit pathetic? Where his fans get too sensitive. He just capitalised on our poor performances at the time, and maybe we shouldn't be so triggered. Got him sent off though, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. I wonder if is there a question in there? I don't know. Am I missing something? Should we, as fans, be bothered by Deeney? what Deeney says but like I said it gets him rolled up but if it does it the wrong way then it, look, it worked into an advantage yesterday do you think if there wasn't that animosity there that he does that probably not or if he might have still done it but if it hadn't been highlighted and he hadn't said stuff in the press like I hit him hard early on and see who wants it mm. and it's not in the rest mind that it's been an intentional action or the linesman's mind so it can work both ways you can spur a player on to play better but we saw the opposite of it yesterday. I've seen quite a few things like this and uh, the battle between us and him is pathetic or he's right and we show no cojones. And I was like, yesterday, that is the exact opposite of what happened. I, look, I, I don't know. Look, fans get too sensitive or not. Like, I don't know. But, uh, oh, they, look, in, in answer to the general question, they do. Yeah. We do. Well, I don't. You don't. Schwinn might, but... <laughs> Look, Jesus. I, I know it's. I don't know if it's a good comparison or not. Cricket players do it 
during the game, every game, and they do it just to, you know, to try and get the, that advantage and, and roll the batsman up or the bowler up or whatever it is. So I, I, it's, it's just a tactic. It, it just really is a tactic. And I, yeah, it's just sport. I think that, I think there's, there's bigger factors at play, though. I think the, the reason it, it triggers us is because to an extent we know it's true. It might not have been yesterday, but all in all, I think it's safe to say that we we are a soft team. You know, I'm not talking about individual challenges. I'm not talking about particular situations, but it's it's a known recipe for a lot of teams, whether they're better in quality than us or or worse, that they know that if it's a physical battle, then we're not going to relish that. So more than more than someone calling us names, I think the reason it affects us as a fan base is because we somewhere down deep know it's true. Tony, obviously it was away. I don't know what the away fan uh, brigade was at Watford, but if it was home, at home, would Deeney be saying that and, and would he get slaughtered by the fans? And the other question is, uh, you know, the Arsenal home fans, but the other thing is, did he get slaughtered by the Arsenal away fans at Watford or, or they drowned you there? No, he got hammered, uh, to be fair. But uh, he, he said the comment... Was it a year ago, two years ago now? So I don't think home or away comes into it at all. Uh, I mean, I know we ended up losing there last year, but it was a dive for a penalty and an offside goal. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think that what he you said affects home or away. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think it's different home or away. He said it, I said, I think it was two years ago now he said it because he missed, a, he obviously said it and then he's missed a penalty against us since. He's been sent off against us since. I don't think he's ever scored against us. But is, does he get hammered every time? Like every time, like he's the man that is his hammer. Uh, I mean, he, he catches some abuse. So I think, look, he's he's their most recognisable player. Whether he's their best player is a different story. They're most recognisable. So when when a team comes and then their most recognisable player is always going to catch more flack than anyone else anyway. And and then it comes that he has said stuff about us. So it's even more reason, but. Look, this is the reason that these type of questions annoy me is because the same people are saying, oh, we've got no atmosphere. But when we're all hammering someone, especially if it's all the same player, it makes it loud, it gets an atmosphere. Okay, it might be for a petty reason, oh, he made a comment we didn't like. But if you've got 60,000 people shouting and on his back, surely that's the atmosphere you're craving. So on one hand, they're going, oh, it's pathetic having a battle with some average striker from Watford. But then a minute later, they're going, oh, yeah, but the atmosphere is shit, isn't it? Like, choose one. Mm. Oh, mate, you gotta, you gotta give it to them. You, you gotta. That's what the yell atmosphere and everything. They had to fucking, you know, yell out in the fucking pitch. As long as it's not racist abuse and carrying on like that, that bloke last week and, and with Napoli. But you know, fucking, that's what it's about, isn't it? Create the atmosphere. He's your boo boy player, so get in with him. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. Um, Sashant, Sashanti, Sashant. Shushand. Shush. <laughs> um, how are you, buddy? I haven't heard from you forever. Thank you. Because you can't say his name. Never. Forever. Um, how, we, well, we did speak about this before, so he's, he's asking us, how do you find Emery's subs? I found they're not helpful to our game. Maybe injuries forced his hands. What are your take on it? So, uh, Tony, you you'd mentioned it. Schwinn, what are your what was your take on it? You pretty much mentioned it too, didn't you? 
I did, yeah. yeah. It's been talked about. Yeah, we can gloss awesome. over that for now. Yeah. Uh, David G, he says, having watched live Premier League games, can Tony and at Schwinn tell us, or at AFC Schwinn, tell us how Bemyang's movement in the penalty area is because this most of the time doesn't get on camera unless he scores a goal, Tony? Uh, it's probably the best aspect of his game. It's so underrated. It's painful. Like, people, this one of them things, people go, oh, he only scores tap-ins. Okay, there's an argument for that. I don't agree with it, but you know, if he's only scoring tap-ins, why doesn't everyone do it? What what makes him able to score tap-ins all the time and, and not other people? And it is purely his movement is that good. He, he's like, I've never seen, he must think because I've never seen someone have so much space in the Premier in the in the area so often. Like, I think he just doesn't wear the Odrin thing. <laughs> that must be what's going on. No, his movement is is top draw. I think we highlighted it earlier in the season. If you look back at the Burnley game at home, where Ozil played that ball that everyone was basically wanking over, and it was a great ball, but it was a Bamiyang that ended up scoring the goal. And look at his movement. Ozil plays that cross into the back post, and. Bamiyang is a yard or two behind his defender. By the time he kicks it into the goal, the defender's in the same place and the Bamiyang's two yards in front of him and, and taps it into an open goal or volleys it into an open goal. He, he's moving in the box. He just seems to have this instinct of of essentially knowing where the ball's going to go. Um, it's when, very when rare. Across- when, when we're attacking, you've got your eye on him thinking something's going to happen here with him. Like you can see from that well, yeah, it's just, it's Yeah, it's very rare that he's... He's like completely marked throughout the game. I mean, even say I'm just trying to think of games off the top of head. Man United at home in the cup, he scores a tap in at the back post, and people go, "Oh, anyone would have scored that. I would have scored that. I would have." But why is our top striker? How has he managed to be on his own in the six-yard box? I don't know how he does it, but he he just always manages to to find that space, um, and it's very underrated. I think as well he uses his pace cleverly because he doesn't always run at full speed. He kind of stops and starts. His acceleration is very good. More than his top speed, I think his acceleration is one of his biggest assets. So he goes from nothing, a standing start, to fast very quickly. So he'll stand still, the defender will stop, and then he goes again. And I don't think anyone's going to keep off it up with him on pure acceleration. Um, yeah, for me, I think, as I said, I think his movement is his best, is his best asset. And I think probably... Cavani is the only other player I've seen live who can even compare to Aubameyang's movement. I was going to say, is Aubameyang the, the best you've seen? I mean, no, Cavani, I remember watching him and thinking if this guy could finish, he'd score 100 goals a season every season. Yeah. I've never seen anything like Cavani. I mean, he was playing against our defence, so there is a bit of a, well, how, how hard is it? But literally every time he moved, I thought he was going to score. Yeah. I agree with you with Cavani because I often think like how does he get the goals like, and we don't see it on camera the, the, the no, honestly watching Cavani live was the the biggest eye opener I've ever seen to how good movement can be yeah. like it was, and even like it wasn't just me I had people like friends that were sitting in other parts of the ground and before I'd uh, even said anything there was people like I would go and meet them in a the pub or whatever after the game and they were just like if he if he could finish, he would be he'd win he'd win the Ballon d'Or. Well, yeah, he'd get that he'd get that many goals. He literally he's just in space all the time because he he just doesn't stop moving. So it's so hard to mark because he's always on the move. You don't know if he's going forwards, back, pulling out, coming short, spinning in behind. It's 
It must be a fucking nightmare to play against. Mm. Um, okay, well, that's it for the questions. So thank you, everybody, for getting them in, and hopefully we've gone through all of them, Tony, because we had a little hiccup, technical difficulties last week. And well, we might still. Yeah, we might still here too, um, and we blame Schwinn for that. So, um, Where am I? Clockandtalk.blogspot.com. Uh, we've got some ratings out, Schwinn, by Craig. Just going through them, mate, so you can find them on our website, and Craig and the boys do a good job there. Uh, Leno, 7.5. Uh, Granite 7.5, Ramsey 7.5. Trying to think who his man of the match was. Um, When you say trying to think, do you mean you have them open in front of you? No, I can't see it. I I seriously can't see more than a 7.5. Well, then that's whoever's them on 7.5. 7.5s, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know what I was fucking looking for, don't you? <laughs> Sorry, Craig. I was looking for Lacazette's name. <laughs> then I realised, fuck, he didn't play. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't usually stop him. <laughs> um, and he gave Emery a seven. Uh, thoughts, that was so that was his ratings. Um, now, another one that I want to touch with you boys, because I did a poll during the week of uh, last week for this. Um... Uh, what's his name? Bloody Joe Heard. He done an article on it. Aaron Ramsey legend status. So obviously he's leaving us at the end of the season. Um, does Ramsey go down as an Arsenal legend for you, Tony? I had this. Uh, I went for food before the game yesterday. I went for food and then to the pub, and I had this uh, conversation with my friends in the while we was eating. Uh, for me, no. Because I mean. Okay. Uh, he's not taken us to a title. He's got two cup winning like winners in cup finals, which helps. I mean, Sanchez scored in two cup finals, but you don't remember them because they're not the winners. Even though they're arguably, I mean, especially the Chelsea one is as important. He's got the first goal inside four minutes or whatever it was. The way I think, I think the term legend is used too loosely. This is not taking anything away from Ramsey because I'm a big Ramsey fan. And Schwinn was saying earlier that he thinks Koscielny uh, is possibly best value for money in the Emirates era for me it's Ramsey without any shadow of a doubt but legend gets thrown around way too easy for me the, the, the simple way I think of it and this might be really basic and really harsh is would I want a Ramsey statue outside the stadium alongside Adams Burkamp and Omri and, and for me at the moment no he's not he's, he's not if they said today was be a four statue he wouldn't be in my top five don't ask me to name no, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair call though when you put it down to like that uh, Schwinn don't let Tony influence you with that though um, you got a counter argument there or are you going to agree with him no I, I do have a counter argument I mean I, I agree with Tony in the sense that the word legend gets thrown out too easily and if, if you define it the way Tony has defined his rendition of a legend then yeah by those standards he he isn't a legend but I'd argue that, for me, by my standards, he is. I think being able to deliver those cup final gold and, and more importantly, be the, the model professional he is. You know, I, I've spoken about his injuries so many times because for me to come back from something like that in the, in the fashion he did and to continue working with the club for so long um, is, is, is a big factor in that. Even the way he's leaving, you know, it's, it's not exactly on bad terms. It's, it's something that could have been salvaged perhaps, 
if uh, he wasn't so greedy as the media seems to suggest. But I think players have to have that sort of foresight. They have to have accountability towards themselves because their their careers are not the longest. And we've seen many players in the past, you know, go bankrupt because they haven't used their money wisely. And it's it's only fair on them to take care of themselves and their families. So I don't hold any malice towards him in, in that fashion. What I care about is how he performed, whether he delivered at the highest level that we were performing at, and whether he remained true to what we stand for as a club. And, and on all those accounts, um, he's passed with flying colors. So for me, he is a legend. Okay. Um, look, I, <laughs> I I kind of agree with Tony a little bit. For me, um, I you know if I think statue at the front of the Emirates, I'm not thinking a Ramsey statue. Um, but I also see your your argument as well, Schwinn. I uh, just look. I really appreciate Ramsey. I and still this season, I really appreciate his loyalty to the club and 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 his form. I, I think you know to sum it up, it, it was a bit bit unf- unfair. You know, a few injuries that he got throughout his his um, career, and I what we four point eight million or something we we bought him for from Cardiff. So. I think yeah, I, I, it was a brilliant well, buy, but yeah. yeah look, as I said, for me, he's the best value for money of the Emirates era. I think my argument against it as well is I think most people, their argument for him being a legend is about loyalty and longevity. But I don't know this, but without looking, I'm almost certain that if you look into our 10 longest serving players or 10 most appearance players, he's not in either. And then, and also the loyalty argument is kind of flawed. I'm not blaming him. I don't blame him for going Juventus at all. But the loyalty argument is completely flawed that as soon as a big money offer came in for him, he's jumped ship. And I don't blame him. I agree with Schwinn. He's got to look after himself. But when people are basing him on as a legend based on loyalty and service, he's jumped ship at the first decent chance he's got. And as I said, he's not in the top 10 for either loyalty or longevity. And then if you combine that with ability, he's above some of them. But he's also not in the top 10 for ability to ever play for us. So, I mean, how many people are legends? If he's not in the top 10 for any of them characteristics, then what's a legend now? The top 100 players that have played for your club? The top 1,000? Am I a legend because I've been to a few games? So, like, where does it stop? Mm-hmm. No, I see what you're saying. And that's why, for me, I, if I, you know, if you're looking at statues out the front of Emirates, I, I don't see Ramsey at all. Um, uh, our Twitter poll, we got 1,600 votes, so... Did all right. Um, 75% people have said yes, and 25% people have said no. Um, obviously, the poll's still open for another four days, but you've, there's plenty of comments there and, and people explaining why they've said no. So, anyway, check it out on our Twitter and um, let us know is Ramsey legend in your status? Is he a, is he a, yeah, is he a legend in, in your mind? Um, it's going to be. It's funny though. Like it's it's almost an end of an era for for us all because, you know, we've seen Chamberlain leave. We've seen Wilshere go. Uh, Walcott's left, and and Ramsey's also now heading out. It's it's just it's a bit weird, isn't it? Like I, players that I thought would stay for, with us pretty much until they retired, but I, I just find it a little bit, I don't know, a little bit heartbreaking that you know he's probably the last of the. I'm trying to think the, the last British core. Yeah, it's just the you know what I mean. Like when you think Arsenal, you I always thought Ramsey, Wilshere. You know, you, you always think of them players for the last ten years, and and now he's probably the last of them, and he's gone. Gone. So, 
Well, look at it this way. We still have Jenko, exactly. Oh, yeah, Jenko, yeah. How can I forget? (laughs) (laughs) Jenko. Um, Anyway, boys, that'll wrap us up. Oh, just quickly, um, I know Tony won't give a prediction, so uh, Schwinn, Napoli, you're confident there, mate? It's so hard because we're so hit or miss. Uh, This is going to be away from home. It's not going to be an easy place to visit. I'm not sure how many Arsenal fans are going to be making the trip either. Whoever is going, though, and if you're listening, please be careful. Uh, I'll go for a 1-1 draw. I think that that's that's the sort of mentality Emery is probably going to go into the game with. And, uh, you know, we warned ourselves that, that they're cushion, so we should do best to, to preserve that and maybe try and exploit the other team when, when they're committing bodies forward. So take it easy, get the result, come back home, no injuries, please. Okay. Um, Tony, with you, mate, I'm going to go a different direction on the Napoli game because you never give a fucking prediction. But um, Awobi, we, we pretty much all said, you know, he's, he's played a brilliant couple of weeks. Um, Mustafi's played a great couple of weeks. Uh, Yang hasn't been the Yang. Like, okay, he got the winning goal against Watford, but he's he's been a bit of a hit and miss the last couple of games. Uh, what's your thoughts with Emery? Like, obviously, Lacazette's going to be starting, but does now Awobi obviously get in front for for Yang and and obviously Mustafi starts there as well. Well, I mean, first of all, um, before I answer what you just asked, I'm I'm I think this game's really worrying in that. If we would have, say, drawn the first leg, one or nil-nil, and gone out there and lost, it's not too heartbreaking. If we go and lose there now, I mean, lose the tie. If we lose one nil, it's fine. But if we go there now and lose the tie, it's such a confidence destroyer. Um, and I think it could set a bad mentality if we go out. So I am really worried about the game. Um, in terms of, I mean, you're essentially asking who he starts. Uh, look, I... Uh, you're looking now that it looks like Aubameyang's not going to start I don't agree with that I said I think you want to stretch them on the break because they're inevitably going to have to push on or or play a little bit higher than they would usually like to um, because they've got to close us down and chase the goal Um, it's difficult because if you assume Aubameyang's on the bench I mean look you don't know Aubameyang could be super fit We, we don't really we've never really been questioned into his fitness like we know Ramsey's super fit we know Kolasinac isn't with Aubameyang, we've never really heard one way or the other. But, I mean, playing 90 yesterday, you'd assume he's not going to play or he's not going to start, which obviously means Lacazette. I'm convinced we'll go back five. Uh, Socrates, Koscielny. I don't know if Mustafi gets in, to be honest. Um, okay. Because if he... If... He likes to play Monreal on that left edge, the left of the three... If he doesn't, if if he doesn't, if he plays Mustafi, Socrates, and Koscielny, then I'm not sure who plays on the left. Probably Socrates, and then you don't get you don't bring the ball out as well, uh, unless it goes Koscielny there. But then again, you've got the legs running into the channel. Uh, and he got a class match, Maitland Niles. I think that was his team selection yesterday. Showed that I think Kalasnatch and Maitland Niles will play. Uh, I think he'll go Ramsey, Torreira, and Xhaka uh, with Lacazette. And it leaves one other position. He could do very similar to what we've done at Tottenham, actually, with with Lacazette. 
Yeah, I think yeah. How we played at Tottenham? Essentially, he played Guendouzi instead of Torreira. You're going to have to remind me, mate, because my I'm I'm thinking Tottenham game. I'm as you're talking, so listeners might be thinking too. Yeah. How do you go at Tottenham again? Well, no, I mean it's difficult because he played it back four, but I, th- I think he will go a five. But I meant in terms of attacking setup, he'll have Lacazette pretty isolated and hope that Ramsey can make up the gap with his energy, and then he'll have the two behind them in Torreira and 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 Xhaka. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he'll Ozil go two doesn't start. Well, I'm not then. sure because I think he'll go two behind Lacazette, so I don't think he'll go for width. I think he'll want the wing backs to provide the whip, and he'll go Lacazette up top with two behind them, one being Ramsey, and the other one. Before yesterday, I would have said Mkhitaryan. After yesterday, it could be Ozil, it could be Awobi, it could be Mickey Steele. Yeah, it could be Abamyang, and and they play a little bit wider. I think that's probably in my mind that's. The, the two positions that are up for grabs are that one. So whether we go one behind two or two behind one, and that dictates who that player is. And then at the back, does he keep it Socrates, Koscielny, Monreal, or has Mustafi worked his way in? Uh, in which case, I think it'll be Monreal dropped, but then who plays on the left of the three? Yeah, I yeah. think there's only two positions where I'm a bit like unsure. I'm sure of, yeah. Uh, Leno or Czech? It will be Czech. Yeah, okay. I just I only bring that up because a lot of people were a bit filthy with uh, Czech coming in the first league. They were going, oh, Leno's been in form. You'd think that, you know, Leno would be the starter, you know, the informed keeper as well in this late into the oh, it's, league. It's so. just the way cup keepers work. I don't know if you heard um, when Watford went through into the to the cup final, like someone asked their manager, will Herrelio Gomez has been your cup keeper? Will he continue to play? I think the manager said, yeah, and they interviewed Ben Foster. And they said, oh, are, you, are you like disappointed or you're trying to work your way into the cup final team? And he said, if the manager picks me, I'll refuse to play. Oh, well, there you go. Said he's the cup keeper. He's done it yeah. all season. He's yeah. not made a mistake. It's not like he's been horrendous at any point. Yeah. So it's, it's his job. It's his job. That's where he is, yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that's bloody respect, that. Fair damn. Yeah. Um, okay, boys. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give a real prediction. I don't know. Oh, oh. So after all the shit I get, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'll go three. I'll go three-one Arsenal. I, I, yeah, Napoli for me. They're just yeah, they're not. They're not good. Is it Schwinn, do you see the team too much different from me, or? To be honest, you cut out in the middle, so I, I, I didn't hear the full thing. <laughs> You'll have to listen back to the podcast and then answer. You. <laughs> How, how will I do that? Apparently, I don't do that, so that's <laughs> not going to be an option. Fucking no chance of that. He blames his laptop. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, well what, give us your your starting lineup. Will Urs will, will start for you, Schwinn? Obviously, Lacazette's going to no. be up front. Uh, Mustafi was the one. Tony well, just give us your lineup rather than fucking Tez giving you every hint under the sun towards what I said. Give <laughs> us your lineup. We're going to help the bloke so, out. <laughs> back five, check and goal. Kolasinac and McNiles as wingbacks. Socrates, Koscielny, Montreal, Shaka, Torreira. No, they're not. Either of them are not suspended, right? No, no, I can both play. Yeah, so Shaka, Torreira, uh, Ramsey, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Okay, one behind two. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay, boys, that's it. Um, we'll come back. Hey, tell me how. Tell, at least tell me how different that was than Tony's lineup. <laughs> So mine was basically the, there was two positions I'm not sure about. So Mustafi or Monreal, I'm not okay. sure. So the same system. And then I'm not sure if he'll go two behind one, as in Lacazette with Ramsey and another behind him, 
or mm. Ramsey behind Aubameyang and Lacazette. So there's the two positions I said were a doubt are two. You've done everything the same apart from them. Them two, you wasn't you didn't have a doubt. You put a name on them. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. I think it's best to play a lot of attacking intent, just just so that we can catch them on the break. And Aubameyang and Lacazette, I think in that in that vein, merit. Uh, a start compared to Mickey or I mean I, I would have 100% percent gone to Yang it's only because he played 90 yesterday that's the, mm. the that's true yeah, yeah. I, I think I didn't think about that in front of him in front of him to be honest I think it would be a good call up the, the thing with that is that if you have a true winger come in like it will be then you sort of have to put him on the left and that means Ramsey goes out wide and in which case you would think that a Mkhitaryan or even an Ozil is more suited to that role so I think he would like. So. Right. So I think Ramsey is someone you want to use in this game. I think. I mean, the, the fact that I've I've chosen Obama and Lacazette is more to do with Ramsey's selection than with their individual selections. If I'm honest. Mm. So I mean, it, it, it's it's open ended, but I think it, we will benefit from having them three out there. Just just and just quickly before we we wind up here, do you prefer and you too, Tony? Do you prefer? Abemiang off the bench in this game coming on, you know, in the, the 50th or 60th minute, or a Wobi? It will be for me. Um, be for you, for, for two reasons. I mean, one, I don't think it will be is good enough. Uh, I know he had a decent game yesterday, but how many times have we sat here and said he had a good game yesterday, but we don't know what it's going to be like next week or for the next game? That consistency factor is something he severely lacks. Uh, secondly, you know, we just spoke so highly about Obama Yang's prowess to get into good scoring positions. Even yesterday, he struggled to finish. But the amount of times he made those clever movements to get into, you know, just be an inch shy of the ball, th- th- those things you, you cannot replicate on the training ground, and it's not something you can teach. And since I think we're going to be playing on the counter, I think it's going to be very beneficial for someone like Obama Yang to be able to capitalize. We get a goal, we can get him out. You know, we can protect him for the Premier League. But if he comes on in the 60, there might be a bit more pressure and uh, it's probably not the best scenario to bring him in on. New Tony? Uh, for me, and I said last week, he probably would have been my first name on the team sheet. The only doubt, the only reason I've got a doubt is because he played 90 yesterday. Um, especially in a game where it wouldn't have been necessary for him to play 90. They could have changed it up and it, it may have even strengthened us bringing Lacazette on at a time when we couldn't hold the ball mm. um, but because he played 90 yesterday is the reason I'm not got him in my lineup. up um, so I'd prefer him starting and him coming off the bench but as I said it's just going to come down to that fitness and that how, how much he's got in the tank really mm-hmm. okay um, well let's get ready because if we go through this we'll be fucking happy Happy days. Um, okay, boys, that'll do us. We'll be back after the Napoli game, and we'll also preview... Who we got? Palace. Palace at home. Palace. So we'll be back after Napoli, and we'll preview Palace. So thanks, boys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Schwinn. Thank you very much. And thank you to our listeners, and thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening, and thank you for interacting with us on Twitter at clockn underscore talk. Thank you for reading the blogs. You are fucking legends. And oh, also, before I go, we have a dedicated listener WhatsApp group. 
and uh, just flick us a DM on Twitter or something and we'll send you through the details. Um, the only question we do ask for that is where is Schwinn today? It's like, where's Schwinn? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, thank you everybody and we'll good night. <laughs>